This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora. Welcome to Our Changing World. Ko William Rea Ho. In 2020, there's one topic we can't stop thinking about. Germany's top biotech companies and clinics are rushing to come up with a vaccine to defeat the novel coronavirus. Let's start with one of the leading vaccine candidates is now on hold because of an adverse reaction from one of the volunteers. How concerning is that? While the world awaits a coronavirus vaccine, hundreds of thousands in China are receiving their second jab of one being tested there. The COVID-19 vaccine. When is it coming? How will it work? How do we make sure we get it to the people who need it the most? Well, I've been talking to a bunch of New Zealand scientists who are working on exactly those questions. My name is Graham LeGro, or um, Professor Graham LeGro. I'm the director of the Mulligan Institute. We've got some wonderful resources at the Mulligan Institute for making vaccines, testing vaccines, and quite, quite a bit of experience in bringing new immune therapies into the game. And uh, we could see that New Zealand desperately needs to be able to access one. And we put our hands up and said, why don't we build a consortium of the best people around New Zealand who have got the skills and experience? And that's what we set about doing. And uh, we've got a, I won't call it a dream team, but I'll call it a, a really coalition of the willing and able to really try and secure, evaluate and try and get the best vaccine for New Zealand. Professor Graham Legros' coalition is called Ohu Kaupare Huaketo, the Aotearoa New Zealand Vaccine Alliance. Back in May, the government gave $10 million to this organisation to research, develop and evaluate potential COVID-19 vaccines. Really supporting the making of candidates. We're developing platforms for testing other people's candidates, either from overseas or which are being made in New Zealand. And we've also got a uh, a lump of money the government's given us where we can do phase one and two clinical trials if that can actually help bring a vaccine here to, and also to satisfy our own New Zealand regulatory authorities that it's safe enough to be in the New Zealand population. And also link with manufacturing because vaccines aren't just discovering a vaccine or making a vaccine. They're about making them so they can be manufactured well. And that's critical. So linking with manufacturers in New Zealand and seeing what are their requirements that need to go into a vaccine. So, I mean, let's sort of take these one by one, I guess. I'm starting with the sort of R&D of a, of a new vaccine. What's the benefit of New Zealand getting involved in this? I mean, there's, you know, these huge pharmaceutical companies, there's um, nation states putting in, you know, millions and millions of dollars. New Zealand's quite small to sort of bring something to the table here, isn't that? Yes, it is small, but we actually have some pretty top scientists who have trained in these major pharmaceutical companies overseas, who have trained in these major 
uh, vaccine science centres overseas. And actually, we have we contribute quite a bit. We have contributed quite a bit to animal vaccines around the world, and we've contributed quite a bit to understanding human vaccine science. And it also extends to the regulatory affairs. We've got people who have been on um, the international vaccine advisory boards. So even though we're only 5 million people, we actually have an outsized role to play in supporting the global effort for vaccine development, understanding, and our science expertise. And Graham LeGrove says we need to be careful about relying too heavily on overseas efforts to develop a vaccine. A number of the leading candidates may actually fall over. They may actually cause adverse reactions, or they may be too expensive, or they may not be available to New Zealand. We can't actually buy them. We don't have enough money for them. So then New Zealand's left with no vaccine. We can't get out of our border control. And so as insurance, we are making our own local New Zealand vaccine, which could... We make animal vaccines already. We make human vaccines for other companies. We're about to slip our vaccine into the manufacturing capability that we already have existing in New Zealand and make enough for New Zealand, 5 million people and the Pacific. So what kinds of vaccines are being developed in New Zealand at the moment? The vaccines that are being developed in New Zealand are sent around the spike protein. I hope by now... Um, everyone understands enough science that the spike protein is the key thing we've got to target for this COVID-19. The, the virus is a very sub-sub-sub-microscopic sub, particle, much smaller than the cells of our body. And there's little molecules on the surface of our cells, and the spike protein has just found a way to cozy up and just slip inside the cell and start replicating through the spike protein. It doesn't actually spike the cell, it actually just binds to a molecule on our surface which is involved in blood pressure and things like that and then slips inside. So we know that if we can make the immune system make really good antibodies which bind that spike protein, the virus can't get in. It then just dissolves and dies and no one gets infected and no one gets sick. And that's the best form of immunity. We are aware that everyone's trying to make a different version of that in in a different formulation and testing how that can be tuned to make the most long-lived immune response and one that won't cause adverse reactions. And we'll try, and we and the others are trying to use technologies which have already been licensed um, for other vaccines. So we're not trying to invent some of the really wonderful new stuff that say the new American vaccine, which is an RNA vaccine, which hasn't been trialed, licensed in humans before. Um, So we know we've got a lot of safety profiles around our ones. You might have seen in the news that there are already some vaccines coming online overseas. Medical workers, military officers and civil servants were among those given emergency use approval for experimental vaccines earlier this year. China's Centre for Disease Control says one may be rolled out to the public as early as November. China is at the forefront of the whole world. We probably won't see them in New Zealand anytime soon, but they do have a place in the global struggle against this virus. When you've got a country and the people are dying and sick and, and, and health workers are exposed to enormous loads of virus from sick patients, anything is better than nothing because it just stops the death rate. Um, the vaccines that are making being made now are very sort of, sort of just quick, dirty and easy and they'll cause the immune system to make enough cells and enough antibodies in our blood that really only lasts for a year or two and then we have to be vaccinated again. And I will say a number of these early vaccines coming out, you won't be able to go on 
revaccinating people because they have some problems that they're using a kind of a, a vector virus, which is a, another kind of virus to transmit the spike protein. And you build up resistance to that vaccine. It doesn't work as well longer term. Whereas if we do the immune vaccine really properly, we can actually stimulate enough of the right parts of the immune system that go on making these protective antibodies for five, 10 years. And you don't have to be vaccinated again. And that's the ultimate goal of a really good vaccine, that it stimulates enough immune response that it really lasts 10 to 20 years. Like, say, say the, the varicella zoster, the herpes zoster vaccine. That's a great vaccine. There's another potential problem with these viral vector vaccines. Some studies have suggested that people in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, South America and Asia have higher natural resistance to the virus used to deliver the vaccine. That could potentially mean these types of vaccines won't work as well for those populations. So what about the other vaccines, the longer-acting ones which we're hoping to use in New Zealand? When will they be arriving? The issue is... Um, for some country like New Zealand or the Pacific or Australia, we want to make sure for our population that we don't just take, take very unproven, not necessarily safe vaccines. So the rollout period will be, I think, middle to the end of next year before we have enough information coming through all the trials being done to be able to say, that vaccine works. These are the reactions. These are the vulnerable people that it doesn't work very well in or it causes problems. And we need the time to have the tens of thousands of people be vaccinated, be rolling around in the environment, circulating in the environment, seeing virus, seeing other kinds of immune stimulus from the environment and just seeing what causes problems and what doesn't. And you can't rush that. The, the question is occasionally raised, like, are we actually sure that we will get that safe and effective vaccine at some point? Because, I mean, people point out there are plenty of diseases out there which we do not have a vaccine for, despite, you know, having looked for a very long time. Are we sure that there actually will be a vaccine that's safe and effective? Well, we as a, I as a immunologist am sure. I, I put my um, reputation on that because the virus is relatively simple. It's not like an HIV virus that causes AIDS where actually it, trick, it, it fiddles with the immune system. This is a pretty standard virus. We haven't made a vaccine, successful vaccine against it before yet, but it seems as though it's simple enough and the way it transmits and the way it infects our bodies is simple enough, we should be able to make a powerful neutralising response and then we'll be done with it using conventional methods. So I think just give us a few years and we will make a really good vaccine. So we've already mentioned that New Zealand scientists are doing their bit in developing a vaccine locally, but Graham Legros thinks we might have an even bigger role to play in testing vaccines developed overseas. The thing is, most vaccines are being tested in countries where there have already been large outbreaks of COVID-19. If there's been the virus going around, you build up antibodies and they can cross-react to other kinds of coronaviruses. So the common cold, there's a certain proportion of the common cold is caused by a coronavirus. And this is an example that could affect the uptake or the ability of a coronavirus, COVID-19, if you like, vaccine. And it's even worse when you have a situation where COVID-19 is circulating in your community, because if you've had enough of an immune response, the vaccine won't do anything more, if you know what I mean. It doesn't, or may cause a different kind of reaction. So having the community completely virus-free is a really powerful way to test 
the ability of your vaccine in, uh, to, to stimulate neutralizing antibodies in an unprimed, naive population. It's gold. So to put it simply, if you give someone a vaccine in New Zealand and you see that person develops COVID-19 antibodies, you can be confident that those antibodies are there because of the vaccine and not because that person has already been exposed to the actual virus. Professor James Usher from Otago University is an immunologist and clinical microbiologist who works alongside Graham LeGros at the Vaccine Alliance. He says New Zealand is already in talks to start testing overseas vaccines, but he says the lack of COVID-19 in our community is only really an advantage in the early stages of testing. So in those early trials, you're assessing whether it's, able, whether it's safe and whether it stimulates a good immune response. In the latter trials, when you're looking at the efficacy, you're wanting to see whether that vaccine protects against infection, then you need to be conducting that in an area uh, where virus is circulating. Clearly, we are unable to do any efficacy trials in New Zealand, um, and hopefully that remains, uh, remains the case. Because basically there isn't actually COVID circulating in the community would be a bit unethical to, to start. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no COVID, uh, there's no SARS-CoV-2 uh, circulating in the community, and at least we hope, hope not, or if it is, it's at extremely low levels. But even when we do get a vaccine that's safe and effective, that's not the end of the story. Dr Nikki Turner is the director of the Immunisation Advisory Centre at the University of Auckland. The vaccine's going to be an important component of responding to COVID, but it's not going to solve all our problems. It's really not. And, and there's several reasons for that. Firstly, there's this concept of herd immunity, that if you can um, make enough people in a population immune, the virus can then not spread easily and pass around. Now, that would require vaccinating a large amount of the population and being sure that the vaccine's effective enough. Now, it's looking very likely that we will have effective vaccines coming probably next year. But in the first instance, they will really be in limited supplies because it takes quite a bit to manufacture a vaccine. So we won't have large supplies and they're very likely to be targeted to those who are at highest risk of disease or those who are in close contact like frontline healthcare providers. That will be individual protection to stop people getting severe disease. So it won't instantly stop the problem of the virus spreading through the community. That will take a bit longer. I mean, roughly what proportion of the population will need to be vaccinated before before life can get more or less back to normal, that, you know, international travel can restart, we can have, you know, student international students coming to New Zealand, that kind of thing? Yeah, I don't have the crystal ball, but we are not going to be back to normal by the middle of next year. We are likely in expecting to get vaccines that are reasonably effective with a good safety profile that have gone through proper effective safety monitoring maybe by the middle of next year, but that will not solve our problems. That will just ameliorate the severe disease to the groups that are most at risk. So we are going to be living with this for a lot longer than many people realise. Now, we are also learning a lot along the way. So I think what we know now is that we're unlikely to go back into large national lockdowns, that we are more likely to move towards what we've recently seen in Auckland is that when you have a cluster outbreak, you do traditional public health track and trace around the cluster outbreak. And I would suggest that that 
that is the way it's going to go forward now for quite a while, is that we watch closely at our borders, we watch closely within the New Zealand community, and the moment we pick up cases, we act really fast around the case to minimise the spread of the case. Vaccination alongside that, as it comes, will help reduce the spread, but we will not be able to maintain elimination. You've seen and I've seen how difficult it is to maintain elimination with measles, with a very good vaccine. But when there's a lot of it internationally that keeps coming into New Zealand, you've always got the risk of re-entry, as we saw with measles last year. I guess it's like there'll never be a day where we go, it's over. It's more like a gradual reduction of risk, right? It's more like a gradual reduction of risk. And it's interesting that we've learned to live with influenza. And influenza has a significant damage to our community every year with a lot of people dying. And we've learned to live with it. Um, and, and I think that's what we're going to find with COVID over time, that we learn to live with it. What I am hoping along the way is what we have learned this year is that respiratory viruses are nasty and kill people and that um, quite simple, effective social distancing measures make a significant difference. You know, the reduction in flu, the reduction in what we call respiratory syncytial virus that causes wheezy bronchitis and babies has been extraordinary and dramatic this year and that's from social distancing from staying at home when you're sick from hand washing from not mixing and mingling so much so we need a compromise between our social networking and some social distancing to reduce the impact of these respiratory illnesses and and that is the way I believe the world will go forward. There's also the question of of infrastructure because we haven't actually tried to vaccinate the entire global population for a disease before, have we? Not quite like this. I mean, obviously, with flu pandemics, we do produce large amounts of vaccine and try and offer them rapidly to the population. So we've done similar things. Um, So it's not totally unknown. Uh, The problem will be we won't have enough vaccine straight off to vaccinate everybody immediately. And the the first randomised clinical trials are focused on adults and older adults. They're not focused on children. So it'll be a staged process. There's no way the world could suddenly vaccinate everybody overnight anyway. So this will be, you know, a step-by-step process. I mean, can you sort of run through what the logistical hurdles are? Because, I mean, there's manufacturing first, but also, you know, you've got to have enough people to actually stick the needle into people's arms. Yeah, there's so many different levels. So even from the manufacturing, and manufacturing is a big deal. So you're manufacturing live biological agents, and sometimes in the manufacturing process, things go wrong. So there's a lot of manufacturing quality control levels. You then got to get the vaccine at the right temperature. Some of these vaccines are deep frozen. Um, And some of these vaccines are stored in fridge temperature and they need to be closely monitored. You need to then get them around the world and transporting vaccines around the world is no mean feat. You need enough glass vials to put them all in. Currently, there's not enough glass vials in the world. You need enough needles. Many of these vaccines are two doses, so that doubles your need. Once you get them into the country, you've got the same distribution problems. You saw that New Zealand had distribution problems this year with the flu vaccine. You want to distribute them to the highest needs people first. So you need a really close monitoring system for that to happen. And you don't want to get people flooding and demanding them straight away and overwhelming services. Have we got enough vaccinators? We're currently um, 
educating and growing our vaccinator pool so that we've got enough trained, qualified vaccinators to do so. We then need to be able to follow up and monitor people after they've been vaccinated to ensure there's no safety profile. It sort of goes on and on and on. There's lots of different levels to this. Now, New Zealand has done this in smaller ways previously, so we're capable of doing it and we'll do so, but it requires a lot of logistics at many levels. Graham LeGrow has also been thinking about the challenges of manufacturing. We're talking about 9 billion people. Let's take New Zealand, 5 million people. We've never done a vaccine rollout for 5 million people. It's always several hundred thousand over particular things or just the children that get vaccinated not the whole lot. So there's not the manufacturing capability for producing a 9 billion vaccine uh, 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 rollout. So it's going to take a while to actually build up manufacturing capability, which is safe and reliable uh, and is GMP certified. Remember, you can't just manufacture this stuff. It's got to, you've got to be checked out that you're actually making what you say you're making. And so we are seeing, and we're part of this as well, that there's a whole coalition of various countries which have the resources to bring and make manufacturing consortiums to try and work out how we're going to make this vaccine, but also keep the other vaccines going. Because remember, we can't just down tools and stop making vaccines against herpes, polio, et cetera, et cetera. We've got to finish off the job with all these other diseases. So there's a real issue about capacity here. I mean, how do you actually physically produce vaccine on a large scale? Is it just sort of, you know, brewing in big vats kind of thing? It depends on the on the thing. Some is chemically made. The RNA vaccine, that's one of the advantages of the RNA vaccine of Moderna and the Americans are doing. Some we've got some really strong existing know-how and technology around just brewing, as you say, in cell culture, human cell cultures or yeast cell cultures. There's other traditional methods using bacteria, but they tend to be less uh, useful because they come with a lot of contaminants. Um, yeah, we, we, there's, a, there's a different manufacturing strategy for the, about the five or six different types. So they all have advantages and disadvantages. And I guess the problem is until we know which vaccine candidate we're using, we don't know, you know, what kind of vaccine factories we need to be building. That's correct. And that's why we're sort of sitting a bit in limbo. And once we've got a few pointers in the next few months, then we say, aha, and then you'll see manufacturing strategy in place. Once you have that piece of knowledge about what will actually work and be good enough, then we'll get in behind it all and actually start making the stuff. That uncertainty around the type of vaccine which will ultimately be used also affects our plans for distribution. James Usher. A lot of the vaccines require a cold chain, Um, so often many of our current vaccines require to be stored at four degrees, for example. Uh, some of the vaccines, such as the mRNA vaccines, are currently need to be uh, need an ultra-cold chain, as it were, in that they need to be frozen um, at minus 20 or some of them even at minus 70, which just uh, provides a massive challenge to uh, rolling out vaccines, not only in uh, developing countries, but a, a massive challenge in, in developed countries such as New Zealand as well, where that's just not an infrastructure that we normally have. I think the other thing to say is that we're likely to supply global needs. We're likely to need multiple vaccines. Uh, so I don't think one vaccine is likely to um, be the answer. Uh, different populations are likely to need uh, different sorts uh, or, or may need different vaccines. And it in part depends on what uh, clinical trials have been done with what populations. So multiple vaccines, multiple manufacturing and distribution methods. It's all getting pretty complicated. 
how will New Zealand know it's backing the right horse? Well, actually, we've already put up the cash for our first supplies of vaccine. I can now report that ministers have agreed to enter into a legally binding agreement for the option to purchase approved COVID-19 vaccines for up to 50% of the population of New Zealand, Tokelau, Cook Islands and Niue. That was Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern speaking on September 21st. As James Usher explains, New Zealand has decided to pool its resources and share the risk with other nations through something called COVAX. So the COVAX facility is a uh, multinational vaccine procurement facility, so multiple uh, uh, countries are coming together to um, uh, spread the risk across multiple uh, vaccine candidates. Uh, So there's about, uh, currently I think, nine different uh, vaccines that are part of the COVAX facility, and uh, that provides some sort of certainty of uh, funding to those developers to uh, expand their manufacture, uh, and it provides a balance of risk uh, for those countries participating if one candidate fails and there's alternative candidates that they uh, could could potentially um, access. So there's two components to that. One component is uh, sort of pay-as-you-go, as it were, which uh, New Zealanders are participating in, uh, where you sort of commit to pre-purchase vaccine. Um, and the other is for uh, lower and uh, middle income countries uh, where high income countries such as New Zealand will contribute to, to their vaccine supply as well. Even after we've met the challenges of developing, manufacturing and distributing vaccines, we still have one final hurdle. Convincing people to get the jab. Dr. Nikki Turner. I'm worried about trust, and vaccine refusal is a spin-off of lack of trust. It is internationally absolutely terrifying to see the political rhetoric coming out of the States, coming out of Russia, um, sometimes coming out of China, um, which gives me no faith in the world. Now, if I had no faith in the world, why would I believe the science behind a vaccine? Now, New Zealand currently is in, in a really positive position where we did really come together genuinely as a community that trusted the advice of our government and the advice of our scientists. If we start losing that, then we've got real challenges, not just with vaccines, but with just any general advice to help our community because members of the community stop believing it. And, And why would they not when there's so much misinformation, miscommunication, and particularly when there's very prominent international leaders talking nonsense and, and, and falsehoods all the time. I hate to put it like terrible hypothetical towards you, but like what happens if one country goes ahead with a vaccine that says, yep, this is it, and it's not it? You know, it has, they've, you know, they've rushed through the clin- clinical trials. It turns out to have some serious side effects. That seems like it could lead to some real problems. This could absolutely lead to real problems, and we've seen this in the past. And, for example, the Philippines... Um, too early really decided to run with the dengue vaccine before 
internationally it was recommended to do so. They had um, some unfortunate side effects from that vaccine. And as you would expect, it really affected the confidence in the entire vaccination program in the Philippines. As a result of which, you know, you see measles coming back and children dying. So there's a real risk here if we get it wrong, that it doesn't just put back um, COVID control, it'll affect the entire vaccination program. So the scientific community, our international collaboration has to stay strong. The importance of supporting the World Health Organization at the moment, supporting scientists to have honest scientific discussions and not accept vaccines that haven't gone through rigorous peer-reviewed scientific review, including large randomized controlled trials. Those are the things we cannot cut short. Those are the things we can't go around. They must be in place. And I will stand by the fact that New Zealand regulatory authorities themselves will continue to hold strong on this one. Do we also have to brace ourselves that things are not going to go perfectly? You know, that there's big news about, you know, one particular area where four or five people have a really nasty reaction. What we do know is the vaccines will come out of large clinical trials so that we will know enough about their safety profile to be reassured that they're, in the majority of cases, safe and effective enough. But that doesn't mean that everybody will always be protected. There will be people who will get sore arms. There will be people who get, you know, dramatic allergic reactions. Um, And there will be coincidental events that people will blame on the vaccine. If you're going to vaccinate your whole population all at once, things will happen at the same time that are often not actually linked to the vaccine, but they will get blamed on the vaccine. And then people will say this vaccine doesn't work, this issue happened. And so that is going to happen. I can tell you now that'll happen. We shouldn't get contamination in vaccine because we have good, very good quality controls. But we will probably have challenges with what we call the cold chain, where vaccines will go outside their thermostability range and then they won't work. So we will have challenges like that. We will have a vaccinator who makes a mistake or will have a vaccine being given in the wrong way, things will go wrong. Now, with the best checks and balances in place, none of these should be major things. But if they're not managed well, the communication issues that arise out of them can be very major. This episode of Our Changing World was produced by me, William Ray. The executive producer was Tim Watkin and our sound engineer was Phil Benge. If you like the show, please subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. For more awesome RNZ podcasts, go to the series and podcast page at rnz.co.nz. For coverage of the upcoming election, try out Caucus, weekly expert analysis of the horse race. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.